We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. We are continuing our sermon series called The Sermon on the Mount, and today's sermon is titled, Blessed are the Persecuted. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, happier people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The New International Version reads like this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it goes on to say, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there's a very relevant question that I want to ask right at this moment is this. Why does Jesus assume that his followers are going to be persecuted? You would think that Jesus being this kind of savior that's going to forgive and is the way, the truth, and the life, and we follow Jesus, therefore we would be blessed. We'd be showered with blessing. Yet Jesus assumes that we are going to be persecuted. Well, in our culture, and especially Christian culture, some Christians say that we are persecuted because we hold the truth, or we speak the truth. We're truth proclaimers. So people claim that we're persecuted because we speak the truth about other people's sins, let's say. So we stand out there in the bullhorn and we speak out against somebody's missing the mark or not following the ways of the Lord. So we speak out against that. Therefore, we're persecuted against that. Well, I, I believe that that's farthest from why people are angry or lash back. People are angry at judgment. People are angry at ridicule. People get angry at us as Christians because of the shame that we heap on others. And that is what people are fighting Christians against. See, the disciples didn't go around pointing out people's sins and finger pointing everybody's little black specks, you know, like of their life, like taking that, looking at the specks in people's eyes. There's verses about that. It's quite the opposite of what the, what the disciples did. The, the disciples went around announcing that Jesus had forgiven sin. Well, one of the crucible ideas that I want you to grasp is that we have a job to do while we are here on earth. And that job is to love like Jesus, to love like Jesus. Our job is not seen as to speak the truth or to proclaim some truth about sin. Our job is to love like Jesus. Our job is to love people right where they are and to practice unconditional love. We are kingdom ambassadors that represent this kind of character. We're kingdom ambassadors that represent a different kind of king. See, a king would lord over people and would, would hold people down in oppression. But Jesus lifts people up in freedom, freedom in Christ, and showers them with the blessing of love. So we are to be imitators of this kind of character. We're to invite people into this and to share in this kind of kingdom. 
Well, to be an ambassador means, and this kind of ambassador, we are an ambassador of a different kind of king, but the Bible is very clear that we are ambassadors of a, that we are not in our home. We are not of this world. And the Bible says that we are aliens and strangers in this land. So our citizenship, even though your citizenship, you might proclaim citizenship temporarily in the United States of America or whatever country you hold citizenship in, that's a temporary citizenship that's earthly. Our citizenship in the kingdom of God is in heaven. And God tells us that we long for our home in heaven. Well, I believe that in a converging of our cultural unrest that we've experienced over the last couple of years, as we emerge from our mess, we have a beautiful opportunity to respond in a beautiful way. So one of the challenges that I believe Christians have in interpreting um, life is how to love people as kingdom ambassadors. If our ambassadorship is to love people and we are not of this world, we're aliens and strangers, and this is a temporary situation, how are we to love people in a real tangible way? Well, we believe as Christians, a lot of times we, we carry mantles around. Like, like the mantle of truth or the, the mantle of sinlessness or the mantle of Bible authority or the mantle of, of anti-heresy. Whatever the mantle is, we think as Christians, this is, this is not the mantles that we need to carry. We need to carry the mantle of love. So the problem is, I believe all of these are important topics. They, they need discussion. They need to be processed. They need to be figured out. Yet within the topics that I just brought up, like Bible authority or anti-heresy, those discussions without love is not the perspective that Christ has. We are to be uh, we are to have the perspective of love within all topics of discussion or within all action. So love from the perspective of Christ looks much different than most of our perspectives of love. Love challenges us to compromise. Love challenges us to change. It takes us out of our normal modes of living. It sometimes even forces us to sacrifice or maybe to take a step down and, and to be silent for a while. So love teaches us something. Love teaches us compassion, and love teaches us empathy. So I believe that the church has to start behaving in a way that the world sees that we are serious about loving others. Especially in the last couple of years of total chaos, the world is not interested in some mantle that we carry. It's not interested in anything that we have to offer, really, in any way except that which speaks love. So this is what we need to do, and we need to start doing it as a church. So here's a couple of ideas that I want to give us today coming out of the scripture of Matthew 5. Number one, we need to speak in a posture of hope. Every word that comes out of our mouths and how we carry ourselves and our character and what our life speaks needs to have a posture of hope. So there's a song, an old hymn that goes like this. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So our hope is built on Jesus 
and his ways, his truth, his character, his way of life. Our hope is found in heaven and in Christ's love. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In Romans 15.13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we show and posture hope? Well, we participate in the recreated process of bringing heaven to earth. So we bring a sense of heaven, a sense of peace, a sense of love, a sense of of joy to to this unrest. So hope is an action. Hope is a participation. It's not some just mental ascent where we oh, I hope for something different or hope you, you hope we do well in the future. No, it's hope is an action where we participate in such things as like houseless action, where we participate in, in homeless ministries, where we're helping people to rise. Hope is an action where we actively participate in equity and equality action. Hope is an action where we help people heal from emotional traumas and disruptions in their life and from separations and from abandonment and and even from disease. Hope is an action that we help people in such traumatic situations. Hope is an action where we show people the faith in a very tangible way that impacts their life and effectuates change. So hope is an action that stems from an imaginative thing that produces a conviction about how things need to be and addressing things that are with what could be. So we look at the damage in the world or we look at things that, that, are, that are not the way that they need to be or the way that God designed, and we walk into those situations with compassion and empathy, and we lift people up, and we help people to experience freedoms and help people to rise. This definitely, when you have that kind of action and participation in your life, it alters who you are. It alters your being. So we are to have that kind of posture of hope. But secondly, we are to keep our eye on the mission. We're to keep our eye on the goal and what the Bible says, the prize. We look at that finish line of staying focused on the race to get to the finish line, that prize, that gospel, that that salvation that Jesus promised. And I think that it's important that we emphasize this, especially in our current culture, that we need to stay focused and not get distracted. My distraction definitely has caused me relational, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual problems in my life. And I get distracted when I get comfortable. I get distracted when I don't feel like there's consequences in front of me. I get distracted when when I when when I think that well when I'm entitled or when life is just cush. You know, when life is cush, I don't think that, that I'm going to be hurt. I don't think that I'm going to be damaged. And so I get distracted. I have that squirrel moment where I just do a little bit over here and I stay focused for a month or I stay focused for six months. Or I might even stay focused for a year, but then I, I loosen the grip. You know, I just kind of become lax in my 
life. And I think that that's true for most people. And this is what breaks us. The lack of focus or distraction, we are broken because of it in all of these different ways. So we represent the character of the king and the character of the kingdom, and we need to have focus on that. I'm training for a triathlon, and it's an Ironman triathlon, full distance, 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and a 26.2-mile run. And I'm looking at the weather pattern, and it's, and it's going to be about, well, they're predicting 97. As of today, they're predicting a 97-degree heat, and that is hot to do a race in. So I need to stay focused because there are severe health consequences for me if I don't stay focused. There's very tangible that I can see, that I can witness, that I, that I will probably experience some, like dehydration or lack of nutrition or such, or just, just neuromuscular things, just because of the heat, right? And so I have to stay very crystal clear focused. And when I do get distracted, maybe maybe because I forgot to take something in or I forgot to take a salt pill or whatever it is, right, on the run, let's say, if I don't correct that, if I don't have a course correction, it can snowball for the rest of the race. And, and you maybe have seen some people that have crossed the lines where their legs are just moving like jello and they just fall across the line because they just ran into trouble when it comes to nutrition and hydration, but they ran into trouble because maybe possibly they just weren't focused and they didn't have the right tools in place. So what we do and what we say and what we don't do and what we don't say, we need to be focused because this all has consequences and it represents Jesus. It represents the king and it represents the kingdom. In Ephesians 5.1, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this is what we are to walk in as well, that we are to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us we are to love others. So we're to proclaim the good news. And being the good news is our mission. Not only just proclaiming, but being that good news. Walking in the way of love. So if things are not going well in your life, if things are going well in your life, maybe you're in that comfortable state. Life is a little cush, right? But if there's there's more coming your way, we need to be focused. Whatever it is, the mission needs to be crystal clear because the mission does not change. It stays the same. doesn't matter the political opinion you have, the color of your skin, the backgrounds in which we have. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or whatever country you are from. This is the truth about the mission. The mission stays the same. Whatever conversation you're in, whatever you're posting on social media, whatever you're engaged in in dialogue or debate, the mission stays the same. Whatever you do for work, whatever you not do for work, whatever you're doing with your days, the mission stays the same. We are to walk in the love as Christ loved us first. But then thirdly, we need to resist the powers that tell us something different. See, the world tells us something much different than what I just preached right there, that we're to walk in love just as Christ loved us. 
I mean, come on. No, we're supposed to hate the other side, right? So we need to resist the powers. In Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we talked about this last weekend when we talked about our enemy is not a person. And our enemy can never be a person because we don't fight against flesh and blood. It just said that in Ephesians. So, so our enemy is a power. If it's a human being, then, then that's someone we are supposed to be fighting for and not against. So if we perceive a person as a human being, we're not to be, we're not to be fighting against them. We're to be fighting for them. We fight for them by refusing to hate. We fight for them by actively and tangibly loving our, quote, enemies. And this is how we prepare the way of the Lord. Yet the plight of Satan is to turn us against one another and turn us into flesh and blood struggles. So if you want to know where evil is at work in the world, then look for the flesh and blood struggles. You see it everywhere. So when you are struggling with an issue, whether it be an attack on a people group or a hate that you're witnessing or experiencing, there's two things to keep in mind when it comes to this passage of scripture. The powers of darkness, I just learned in that scripture, just, you just learned as we read it, the powers of darkness are at work. But there's also something that's very, very true. God is also at work. And there's something, thirdly, that's very, very true. God wants us also to be a part of his work. So sometimes it's easier to see the powers of darkness and more difficult to see the powers of God. But we need to see the power of God in order to participate with the power of God. They both are at work. So we have to be able to see that and not get played. But people get played all the time. Christians get played all the time. We, we carry these mantles of truth or mantles of righteousness or mantles of sinlessness where we point out people's sins and we judge and we ridicule and we shame, right? Like we talked about before. And people get siloed in their echo chambers and their silo chambers and they end up demonizing another side, the them or the other, whoever that is for the moment. And we throw shame and we throw guilt-based statements towards the other. And we eventually lose the capacity to understand people and even want to understand people. And our opinions and our righteousness is obvious. And it's obvious that they're wrong and your group is wrong. And I am obviously right, because I am the truth keeper. I'm the one who knows 
the truth. It's so obvious that we are right that, that eventually we can't even talk to those folks on the other side. We're so right and they are so wrong and the other side is stupid and the other side is disgusting and they're listening to the wrong news channels and they're just sheeple of their own, you know, people group and they're just following lemmings just walking around just just like sheeple and you know, you've heard all of this in the last couple of years. Eventually, we want to just silence the other side, whoever that other side is for you. And we want to defeat the other side. And in some, the danger behind it all is in some cultural context, that other side deserves to die, at least be imprisoned. Yet as kingdom ambassadors, we have to commit in our faith that we will not play into this game anymore. Our binding force cannot be the hate of another people group or another person. Our binding force cannot be hate in general of the other side of a perceived enemy of a person ever. Our binding force has to be the good news that God is for us and gives us hope of the kingdom and offers us and the entire world the forgiveness of sin. We are to live in love as Christ died for us. That's our gospel message. That's the good news message that the church as ambassadors in this land, we are to preach that kind of kingdom of a different kind of kingdom with a different kind of king. So in this, we should expect persecution. When people adopt an us versus them mindset, part of the us is actually defined by the against them. So we identify our de- in, the, in this us versus uh, them mindset, our identity is defined by the against them. We, we have a side, therefore this is who I am, and that is them. And people feel righteous over that other group. So in love, we find ourselves persecuted by anyone that chooses an us versus them mindset, by anyone that chooses the hate the other side. You will be persecuted if you choose to love the other side. So how do you find where Satan is at work? We look for flesh and blood battles. We look at flesh and blood conflict. How do you find where God is at work? We look where there is love. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this message of hope this message of good news, this message of forgiveness, and this message of love. Help us to be ambassadors for this other kingdom, Lord, with another different kind of king, Jesus. Help us to be in the ambassadors of Christ, to speak love, to give love, to show love, and to tangibly act in love just like you loved us. Help us to walk in that kind of character. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.